You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. A lot of times the victims, so to speak, don't want to be convinced that it's fake. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Hacking Humans podcast, where each week we look behind the social engineering scams, the phishing schemes, and criminal exploits that are making headlines and taking a heavy toll on organizations around the world. I'm Dave Bittner from the CyberWire, and joining me is Joe Kerrigan from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. Got some good stories to share this week. And later in the show, my conversation with Itai Mayor. He is from Cato Networks, and we're going to be discussing the potential impact that deep fakes may have on our society. All right, Joe, uh, before we dig into our stories this week, uh, we got some feedback on our story about the lightning rod edit. Right. Uh, evidently, this is a much more broadly used technique than I had previously <laughs> considered. <laughs> and, uh, and so uh, not um, not a new idea. <laughs> really? <laughs> well, uh, we got several people who wrote in and, and basically shared their personal stories about how they had done exactly the same thing. Uh, so it seems as though this is a, a pretty common uh, type of thing that people uh, have learned to take advantage of in their professional lives. Uh, I, not surprisingly, I guess, but uh, nice to see that uh, other other people uh, appreciated the telling of the tale and it resonated with them as well. Right. Yeah. So thanks everyone who wrote in about that. Uh, several people uh, shared uh, their stories and uh, unfortunately we don't have time to share them all, but we do appreciate you sending them in. All right. Well, let's move on to our stories this week. Uh, okay. I'm going to start things off for us. My story comes from Krebs on Security, uh-huh. and it's titled Gift Card Gang Extracts Cash from 100,000 Inboxes Daily. Really? Yeah. <laughs> so That's a lot of emails to check, Dave. It's a lot of emails <laughs> to check. So this is the story uh, written by Brian Krebs over at Krebs on Security, and uh uh, he's describing uh, what he uh, says is a successful and lucrative online scam, which employs a low and slow approach. Hmm. Uh, and what these folks do is they attempt to log in to tens of thousands of email inboxes a day. Mm-hmm. Uh, and Brian Krebs is working with um, someone who uh, is a cybersecurity professional who has uh, sort of an inside view on um, email servers. Okay. And so this person is able to, has a window on tracking these sorts of things, right? Right. So these folks are attempting to log into between 50 and 100,000 uh, inboxes a day. I'm going to bet that's automated. It is. <laughs> right. It's, it's, it's one guy, and boy, is his... Are his, his fingers yeah, sore. Yeah, yeah. It's a major upgrade when he got himself a Walkman. Um, so... Uh, and and they're getting their credentials probably from the big credential breaches. Sure. Right? But instead of going in and, uh, you know, wreaking havoc with these email accounts when they get in, uh, they get into an email account and they start searching. Mm-hmm. And what do you suppose they're searching for, Joe? Well, judging from the title of this, uh, this, this, this article, it, I'm going to say – Gift cards. Nothing gets by you, Joe. Right. That is correct. That is absolutely <laughs> correct. They're searching for gift card data. Um, and so what they'll do is they'll log in a few times a month. Once they've established access to someone's email account, they'll log in a few times a month. Again, an automated process. And they're looking for 
gift card links to gift cards. Really? Links to um, uh, what do you call it? A mileage. You know your mileage points from your airline. Uh, links to hotel rewards, things like that. Because many of these things we receive via email. Right. I, certainly, I've received uh, gift cards from friends. Sure. Hey, happy birthday. Here's a $50 Amazon gift card. I've right? received that as well and yeah. sent sent them. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> another point they make here is that um, sometimes uh, employers with their health insurance will have rewards programs where they will say, uh, you know, if you agree to walk around the block every day for a month, you'll get a $5 gift card, right. a $5 Starbucks gift card or something like that, or an Amazon gift card. Sounds like a lot of work for five bucks a day. It does. <laughs> but uh, these folks, these bad guys have uh, figured out, they, they've also built some automation to enroll their victims in those programs and automatically get the rewards. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Huh. So they go in and they search for these sorts of rewards and then they sell them online. And they, this article points out that gift cards are very easy to sell online. Right. And they typically get about 80% of the value of the gift card. Mm-hmm. So quite lucrative. A great way to launder money. It is a great way to launder money. Well, actually, I shouldn't say that because you still have to, like I said, I've said this before. It's a great way to move money around is what, what I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, but I think it is a, a pretty common way to launder money. Is particular. I mean, this is sort of getting off on a tangent here, but being able to go into your local grocery store, buy up a bunch of you know credit cards, cash right. credit cards, yep. uh, and and uh, that is a way to shift money from one form to another mm-hmm. that uh, bad guys take advantage of a lot. Indeed. Um. So uh, this a couple things here. I mean, the 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 obvious. Um, Way around this is to beef up your security in your email account, two-factor, right? Right, I mean, absolutely. Two-factor e- authentication does wonders to, to – these guys can't automate this with two-factor authentication. Right, it, right. And that makes it difficult to do at scale, if not, at, if not impossible. Yeah, if you don't have two-factor on your primary email account, what the heck are you waiting for? Right. I mean, it's – I, do it I don't know how many times we can bang that drum and just – we're we're past the point where you can't do that, right? right. <laughs> it just it has to be a standard thing. It, there are too many things coming through your primary email account to not put that additional la- layer of security on it. Yeah, that that's the root of the of of your identity essentially online mm-hmm. is your email account. That's right. Um, and I've said I'm said here before that email is terrible because it, it allows anybody to put something in there, which makes it a very vulnerable route. <laughs> to all of your identity online. So the best way to protect yourself here is multi-factor authentication, particularly with a uh, with a hardware key. Yeah. That will stop like almost 100% of these things. So this article made me ponder something that mm-hmm. I, I'm curious for your opinion on here, Joe. Okay. And that is they're talking about credentials for things like Gmail and Microsoft Office 365. Right. This got me thinking that... One of the things we talk about all the time here is that you should not reuse credentials. Yes. Right? Right. But think about a service like Gmail or a service like Office 365 where Mm -hmm. one login is your email. 
it's your documents. Right. Right? It could be your chat. It could oh, yeah. be your video uh, conferencing. It could be – I mean, there are many, whether many you, things that fall under this. Yeah, whether you're using Skype, Teams, or or Hangouts. Right. It, yeah, it's all, it's all included with these big tech companies. You're right. right. So isn't that, in effect, kind of reusing a password for multiple services? Uh I don't know that I'd say that. I think it 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 makes that username and password pair much more valuable. Yeah. Right? And if you're using that same username and password pair on other sites, that's what makes it vulnerable. But these large companies, while they may not do a great job at privacy, they generally do a pretty good job at security. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there is a distinction there. Yeah. And I think Microsoft does a pretty good job with privacy. But, you know, Google... We all know what Google is up to. Amazon's the same way. <laughs> right. You know, right. they make money selling ads and selling us stuff. Yeah. So, uh, whereas Microsoft makes money selling us hardware and service, software services. Mm-hmm. And the same with Apple. Apple makes their money selling hardware and software services. Right. So, their, their business model is more focused on the – lends itself to more privacy. But I'm, I'm, I digress. I'm, I'm talking about the uh, – where your question was about whether or not this essentially amounts to password reuse. I don't, I don't think so. I wouldn't say that. Yeah. You're only using – if you're reusing your, the same password like on Netflix or, or, or on some website that you have no idea what these people do, right? You, you, it's a lot of website. Maybe you're into some kind of message board or you're on some kind of message board for one of your hobbies, mm-hmm. right? When you go on there – don't use the same password that you use for your uh, for your your email accounts because you have absolutely no idea what the security of that password is. It could just be stored in plain text behind the uh, in the database behind there. So if someone gets access to that database, they don't even need to crack your password. Right, they have it. I I can guarantee you that Microsoft, Google, Amazon, Apple, none of those guys store their passwords and your passwords in plain text. They right. all use. Right. You know, hashes and 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 good hashes at that. Well, I mean, maybe a, a a different direction to come at this then is to say that because you, one password gives you access to so many different things that right. are important to you yes. under these umbrellas, all the more reason to have that second factor. Yes, and to have a good strong password as well. A unique strong password. Use a password manager, and if you're only going to do one thing, use multi-factor authentication. Yeah. Another thing I, I was curious about, I wonder, is there a way to uh, have some sort of detection on your email account if particular particular searches are taking place? Hmm. I don't know the answer to that. that I, I can't think of an easy way to do that. Well, there. I mean, it, it depends on the application, right? Mm-hmm. It's a web application. Uh, there is a way to do it programmatically, but does yeah. that feature exist in, in the in the software? That's really the question. Right. I don't know the answer to that. But yes, you could absolutely do that. If Well, Microsoft or Google could absolutely do that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, in this Krebs article, they, they, they provide indicators of compromise for the ISPs themselves. Okay. Uh, so they could automate looking for this sort of thing. Right. Um, but uh, I don't know. I, it got me thinking. I, I can't think of a way within my own email client, either a, you know, one running on my computer or my mobile device or a web-based one, of putting into place some sort of automated detection if uh, a particular search takes place. I will say this. If they are using some kind of web client that downloads your email mm-hmm. uh, remotely, Mm-hmm. then there's really no way to detect it. Yeah. Um, all you can detect is the access. Mm. And then whatever, like, let's say there, I don't even, even know if Thunderbird's still a thing, but 
if if they're using like Thunderbird, yeah, they could just use the Thunderbird client to search through all your all your stuff. Yeah, uh, and you would know you would have no cognizance of that. But if they're using the web interface, that has to be submitted back to the server. Right. Uh, right. So. Uh, like when you go through your Gmail and you type, uh, you know, I'm looking for something from my buddy Peter. See what Peter sent me last. Yeah. Uh, that that would be trackable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, uh, interesting article here. Again, it's from uh, Brian Krebs over at Krebs on Security. We will have a link to that in the show notes. Joe, what do you have for us this week? Dave, renewable energy is all the rage these days, is it not? It is. It is. And what would you say is one of the biggest, uh, probably most reliable or most in development forms of renewable energy right now? Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say, I would, hmm, I want to say either solar or wind turbines. Ah, wind turbines. That's where we're going today. Okay. So uh, there is a story from MarketWatch about some Arkansas wind farmers who claimed their technology was more efficient than current wind turbines. Hmm. And uh, they managed to get $700,000 out of people as investors. Okay. And these investments ranged in size from $13,000 up to, I think, $300,000. Wow. So there were some people that were really, really hurt by this. Now, these two guys are have been convicted now of uh, various crimes, including wire fraud and, and money laundering. Their names are Jody Davis and uh, Philip Vincent Writings. Okay. Uh, they claim to be in- inventors of this turbine. They started a company called Dragonfly Industries International, and they they said we have oh this uh, this really cool new wind turbine. The Department of Defense is looking at it. Uh, we have a bunch of different places all over the world where they're looking to build it, and they used uh, doctored reports from nationally recognized engineering firms. Oh, so interesting. They they took these reports and they they faked them and that's how they showed people, look, our wind turbines generate more electricity than current wind turbines. We're going to make millions. So f- just run of the mill fraud there. Right, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Now, what I find interesting about this is there's another story over uh, about the same the same set of events over on uh, Northwest Arkansas Democrat uh, the Democrat Gazette. It's uh, the website is nwaonline.com. I would have thought that was something else. Or the rap group. Yes, yeah. right. That's, that's where my mind goes immediately. Right. Yeah. I'm thinking, ooh, straight out of Compton. No, no. This is the uh, Northwest Arkansas Democrat. I bet they Gazette. get that a lot. They right. get a lot of disappointed visitors to their website. Oh. <laughs> but turns out that uh, prison and religion played a big role in this scam. Hmm. Right. Jody Davis was serving time in a federal prison in Texas for a fraud conviction in Oklahoma. And he befriended this guy, uh, let's just call him Mr. O. Okay. okay. I don't want to embarrass him. His name is in the report, but he befriended him through the prison ministries. Okay. So when he got out and uh, Mr. O was also out, he convinced Mr. O that he, was, uh, that he had this new wind turbine technology and turned around and scammed one of his own guys, one of his own friends from the prison ministry out of like many thousands of dollars. Mm, no honor among thieves. Right. Well, <laughs> I, I just wanted to bring this story up that I talk about tribalism from time to time on this show. Yeah. Right. And how, yeah. how the divisiveness of tribalism is bad for us. Right. Uh, by the same token, the, the unity of tribalism is also very exploitable. Mm. Right. And, when somebody approaches you and they say, 
hey, we were in the same, we go to the same church. Mm-hmm. We're a member of the same religious community. Right, right. Uh, this person is a, I, I'm a good Christian, or I'm a good Jew, or right. I'm a, whatever it may be. Yeah, yeah exactly, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. When when somebody approaches me and, and starts saying that, and, and this is probably just my, uh, you know, my my suspicious nature, mm-hmm. but whenever somebody starts talking to me like that, I, I am immediately put off by it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, you know, my my business ventures are not dependent upon whether or not you're of a, of a particular religion or right. of the same religion as me. Mm-hmm. If, if I'm going to have business ventures with you, I want to see what your business plan is. I want to see what your uh, what your what your technology is. I want to. Uh, I don't really care about your religion, mm-hmm. uh, but for some people, it's very important, and mm. that importance can be exploited as it was here. Mm-hmm. This guy, Mr. O, actually went out and vouched for uh, Davis and and his partner and actually wound up getting more people involved in this. I see. So uh, there's a quote in the article that says, Jody Davis was one of our Christian brothers, so I never doubted or thought that something was being done. Hmm. And uh, the money is all gone. These guys spent the money on like down payments for houses. Uh, they bought fancy cars and even a trip to Disney World. So... <laughs> Wow. Yeah, these people are essentially out all of their money. Do you, I mean, I think this is a really interesting point that you make here. And I'm trying to think for myself, do you think there's anything in your own life that that you would be predisposed to give someone benefit of the doubt because they are in the same group as you or, or you know, something like that? That's a good question. Yeah. Uh, you know, my initial response is, oh, no way, Dave. I'm too smart for that. But, <laughs> right. Well, but, exactly. But there probably is, isn't yeah. there? Like, and, is it your, it's, your church or your, you know, I mean, your neighborhood association, your college, your, uh, see, uh, you know, what my, kind of music you listen to. There's so many things that we're, we group ourselves into. Yeah, exactly. Some of the music I listen to, I wouldn't trust any of those people. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, I, I, honestly, Joe, I've heard some of the music you listen to, <laughs> right. and I don't really trust you myself. <laughs> right, so. exactly. <laughs> um, you know, my neighborhood association, I don't know. I know where those people live. Yeah, <laughs> so yeah, exactly. That's that's a that's a big difference. So I'm more likely to trust my neighbors. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, I have uh, an existing rela- relationship with them. But that's what this guy had with, with Jody Davis. Right. He had an existing relationship with him, and that got exploited. Yeah, but also I think part of this is if someone that you have a pre-existing relationship and you have pre-existing trust with— right. If that person comes to you and says, I'm vouching for this other person, that can short circuit your own skepticism. Right. Because you'll transfer that trust you have in the first person to the second person, exactly. whether or not it's justified. Yeah. And yeah. so it's something to be wary of. Right. Now, I can think of uh, several people who live in my neighborhood who I think are smart people yep. who, if they said, Hey, Joe, we got an investment opportunity, mm-hmm. I'd be like, Okay, I'm interested. You're a smart person. Right. Right. Yeah. Well, and also I think it's important to recognize that uh, knowledge, expertise, and skill in one area does not necessarily transfer to other areas. Yeah, so absolutely. You, you may be a brilliant brain surgeon, but that doesn't mean you know anything about investments, right? right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. Boy, that's, that's an interesting one. I'm going to be thinking about that one for a while. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll have a link to all of our stories uh, in the show notes. Uh, But, Joe, it is time to move on to our catch of the day. Dave, our catch of the day comes from a listener who did not leave a name. 
Okay. They write, hi, Dave. Hi, Joe. I just received this email that could be a potential catch of the day. It's supposed to be an invoice for an iPhone XS Max 128 gigabyte chili. Do you know what that means, Doug? I don't know chili? what the chili part means. Is no. that the color, maybe? Uh, not that I know of, and I'm I'm pretty steeped in this stuff, but maybe I'm missing something. Okay. I don't know. Who knows? The subject of the email was, thank you for purchasing an iPhone XS Max 128 gigabyte chili. I never bought one of these, and my first thought was, Who's trying to scam me? Well, this person is a listener to our show, obviously. <laughs> right. A very smart listener. Instead of how do I get my money back, which is good. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad that's your first your first thought here. Yeah. The email comes from a Gmail account. Also, I was on the BCC line. That's interesting. Uh, not the two line or the CC line. Yeah. Uh, have fun with this one. Now, the BCC line, that's blind carbon copy. Mm-hmm. You could put a whole list of like a million people in the BCC line, and it will look like that email was sent to one person. Right. And uh, right. you won't know to whom else it was sent. Right. Another red flag. Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, it goes like this. Subject. Thank you for purchasing iPhone XS Max 128 gigabyte chili. Dear unique buyer, a very thank you for purchasing iPhone XS Match 128 gigabyte chili from Talipe International on PayPal. Your order have been successfully processed and dispatched for shipment. Product details, invoice number, product, iPhone XS Max, 256 gigabyte, chili, order date, 030921, expected delivery, 0409, 2021, value, $999.98 US, payment method, auto debit. For any choir or concern regarding your purchase or wanted to make any changes regarding delivery address, feel free to contact our accounts department and express your issues, including purchasing and cancellations of the order. You can reach us at this phone number. Regards, accounts department. So I think this is another scam where they try to get you to call in and then try to either get you to cough up your credit card details or maybe get you to open up their... Uh, a remote connection to their computer. Yeah. And say, we got to make sure, we got to log into your bank and make sure this is the case. And right. Who knows? I'm curious. So, a couple things that draw my attention here. First of all, the text of the email mentions a 128 gigabyte phone. The product listed here is a 256 gigabyte phone. So, yep. there's a discrepancy. Very sloppy. Yep. I'm interested in the fact that they place the value at $999.98. Well, you got a one penny discount, Dave. Well, I, but I was thinking. <laughs> First of all, this is a twelve hundred dollar phone. Oh, oh but was, okay. <laughs> but, right. but but that's not but but that's not my primary interest here. What I'm curious is, do we think there's any psychological reason why they're keeping that number below a thousand dollars? That's a good question. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Hmm. Maybe one of our listeners knows. I mean, I know there obviously there's that whole thing in in pricing where you say you know you make something ninety nine ninety nine instead of a hundred dollars, and people right. are more likely to buy it. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I don't know if this relates to that or not. Is there a, a, a subtle psychological pull of keeping it under $1,000? I don't interesting know. Interesting question. It is. Yeah. It would be interesting to see the effectiveness of other phishing emails that have prices over $1,000. Yeah. Well, and we know these folks iterate, yep, right? They do. That's <laughs> right. there's no cost for sending out 100,000 emails. So it's <laughs> exactly they, right. They iterate. That's practically free, Dave. Yep. Yep. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks to our listener for sending that in. We do appreciate it. Uh, We would love to hear from you. If you have a catch of the day for us, you can send it to us. It's hackinghumans at thecyberwire.com. 
All right, Joe, I recently had the pleasure of speaking with Itai Mayor uh, from Cato Networks. And uh, our conversation centers on this notion that deep fakes are here to stay. And uh, we wonder what impact they might have on our society. Here's my conversation with Itai Mayor. I think we're finding ourselves in, a, <laughs> in an interesting point of time because deepfakes are already out there. They're already being used. Um, they're not, uh, I would say, something that is considered as widespread as maybe phishing or malware. But I think at the same time, there's a, there's a reason the FBI issued a warning that uh, deepfake attacks are imminent in the next 12 to 18 months. The technology is moving really fast, making very sophisticated videos much more accessible than they were before. You know, I, I think over the past year or so, maybe a little more than that, we've been seeing a lot of technology uh, demonstrations of this. You know, I, there was one that made the rounds where someone had replaced themselves with a picture of Tom Cruise, and it was very uh, convincing. And I've seen things recently where they could start using this technology for things like um, dubbing in foreign films so that the you know, for the first time the lips will match what the, the dub dialogue is saying. So I think we're getting more accustomed to this, that this is coming. But the, the notion that it's available to the bad guys, I think that's something that a lot of us are still getting used to. Yeah. I mean, deepfakes and their different variations, and you mentioned a couple of them, uh, have been around for a while, right? Face swapping and, and games like changing faces of people, I've, I've done that with my kids for, you know, five years now, five years ago. But what we're seeing now is that these are becoming much more sophisticated and much easier to access. So you don't really need, for example, programming knowledge in order to uh, to run some of these deepfakes or to create them. Not to mention the fact that, you know, if you're only dealing, for example, with voice synthesis, then it's it becomes even easier. And yes, the bad guys do have them. And it's an interesting point because... Who is the bad guy? I have seen attacks using deepfakes, uh, right? There was this case not too long ago of a mother who used a deepfake uh, with a cheerleading team. There was a whole issue there where they created a fake video. So hmm. it's, it's becoming, you know, uh, much more accessible to everybody. And I have zero doubt that this is going to be used in the very near future for political issues and, and for creating tensions between different uh, uh, adversarial or, or not adversarial yet countries, that makes sense. Can you give us some examples of, of where you've seen this being used? Yes. So there was a case uh, in a bank, for example, where, uh, well, not, not targeting a bank, but targeting a company, where it was used pretty similar to what is called BEC, business email compromise attacks, where somebody takes control over a manager's email and send requests for money transfer on their behalf. It was used in the same way with voice. Uh, so somebody synthesized using a deepfake voice of a manager and created a message asking another person to move money out of certain accounts. So we've already seen that. I think there was two, two or $300,000 that, that were lost there. Uh, we have seen a lot of uh, different deepfake, like you said, potentials in the making. There was the case that I just mentioned. Now, there was a case uh, also in, um, in the Netherlands about a couple of, I think about a month or, or so ago, where uh, somebody created a deepfake uh, video and shared it with the uh, parliament over in, in the Netherlands. Hmm. So we've already seen some usages of it. Hmm. We're also, due to this technology, we are now faced with something called the liar's dividend, where the very mere fact that the technology exists 
can be used without using the technology, which doesn't seem to make sense, but let me give you an example. Hmm. Now you will have situations where you have, for example, let's say somebody was caught leaving a building, whatever, whatever the situation was. He can claim that wasn't me on the video. That was a deep fake of me. So now the mm. fact that deep fake is out there can be used to say by people who actually committed a crime or committed something that they didn't want other people to know about to say, no, no, that wasn't me. Somebody faked that video. I swear to you, it wasn't me. <laughs> and that's called, that's called the liar's dividend. And, and, and that's, you know, that's another distortion of reality. So what, what can I believe? How can I believe this? Right, right. Who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes, right? <laughs> and can I add another level of sophistication now just to that? Please, please. So something uh, called GPT-3, which is an artificial intelligence engine that has, I think it was, uh, um, don't get me by the number, I think 170 billion mm. neural networks, and it has terabytes of information that it consumed, and it can generate articles based on this information. And hmm. scientists are having a hard time telling the difference between a human-written article and a machine-written article use, that was using GPT-3. And it's not only that, it can also answer questions on that topic, which is amazing for like really good things, uh, right? Science, medicine, stuff like that. But I've seen some freaky things with it. I've seen somebody use a, a very simple deep fake with a GPT engine behind it. And he was having a conversation with the computer and the computer was answering questions in a very logical sense. At some point they got into like, does he have feeling, does, is he aware of himself? So it got really interesting. Hmm. But the fact that you can now put an engine like this behind also a deep fake, potentially, you're fully automating everything. You don't even need the human intervention in the middle. Think about it. You can say, for example, to GPT, hey, Itai is interesting. I'm not. But let's say Itai is, int is interesting. Let's scan everything he did on his social network. And let's see, what, what is the best way to open a conversation with him? And, and, and let GPT decide that and then perhaps put even a deep fake behind it. I can think of, you know, folks who are in the public eye, uh, celebrities, politicians, <laughs> um, podcast hosts, uh, where there's a large <laughs> library of information available about them, but also hours and hours of recordings that could be ingested and used to, as you say, both generate the, the visual and the audio of the deepfake, but also the logic behind it. So that it, it you know, I, I could imagine, as you say, it answering questions in the way that the celebrity would. Exactly. I mean, for voice synthesis, you don't need more than five minutes. Everybody has more than five minutes somewhere. And if not, you know, an attacker can potentially call somebody up. Hey, I have a poll with like, hey, just answer these questions and you get $100, whatever. You can social engineer somebody to talk to you for five minutes. That's not a problem. And then getting some high resolution photos of them, especially with certain mouth movements, when the teeth, when you can see the teeth, when you can see the tongue, when, you know, different lips positioning. Yeah, this is, this is, I don't like to spread FUD, you know, fear, uncertainty, doubt and be like the doom yeah. there. But Again, there's a reason that the FBI is warning that these attacks are imminent. The technology is moving so fast, and the technology to detect it is, is, is also getting there, but it's, it's not on, on pace. There are some very interesting things out there, like FakeNet AI, which I talked to in the past, that they're doing these kind of, hey, let's be able to detect these types of deepfake videos. But really, three years ago, I, would, I, I wouldn't think that we'd be at this point in time with deepfakes that's so sophisticated, so convincing, and so easily accessible. Well, then what is to be done here? I mean, I've, I've heard people talk about the possibility of, for example, for news reporting, having some sort of chain of custody, you know, dare I invoke the blockchain, but, uh, you know, having some way to verify that 
this video, this audio, whatever it may be, has been through a, a verified chain of custody throughout its life. Are, are those possible approaches we could take? Yes, I would say, first of all, before I even go into that, is first of all, we all need to be aware that these things are out there and their level of sophistication, who holds this technology and can access it, and what can mm -hmm. be done with it. First of all, we have to be aware that there may be things out there that we shouldn't trust. Once we have that in place, then yes, we will need to use technology and human verification to identify if these things are bad or not. One of the things you mentioned is, is an interesting approach. Another way is, like I said, you can do video and, and audio analysis. You can search for certain glitches. For example, in, in AI-created pictures, you can see glitches. Here's a tip, around, usually around the ears or in the hair. There's some glitches that can happen in, in videos like this when you try to force somebody's lips in a certain way if, if you don't have a very good uh, sample of it. But I, I have to say this. One of the things that really bothers me around these things is a lot of times the victims, so to speak, don't want to be convinced that it's fake. If you're using hmm. this just as an echo chamber for extremist groups or for different propaganda or for, um, you, you know, whatever it is, conspiracy theories, for those types of recipients of this media, they're like, hey, I've seen this person say it, then that's it. It's, it's true. Right. And we don't even have to go very far as to deepfakes, right? Because when you talk about mis- and disinformation, there are all kinds of levels to it, from uh, missing context to deceptive editing. We've seen this example this week, right? Um, the, I think it was the women's soccer team. There are reports that they were not uh, looking or, or giving respect to the national anthem. And there was a video of it, and I saw it, and it really looks convincing. But if you add the context that some of them were looking at the flag while some were looking at the person who, or the veteran who was playing the music, then you see that actually there was nothing there. There's not, they, they all respected the, the flag and the anthem. Right. But for those who are receiving this and, and want, they, they hear what they want to hear, it doesn't matter at that point. Interesting times ahead, yes? <laughs> Definitely. And um, again, uh, with the whole the, uh, idea of the liar's dividend and with, well, not an idea, it's a fact. And, uh, uh, and these technologies, it's going to be really interesting how you distinguish reality from something that was made up. And, you know, do people even care at some point? All right, Joe, what do you think? Dave, deep fakes are something that are on the horizon. Like yep. credible deep fakes. And I'm not talking like on the horizon, like fusion power is on the horizon, right? That's right. that's always 10 years away. These things are going to be here soon. Yeah. And Itai does talk about the uh, FBI warning throughout this interview. Then the FBI feels it necessary to actually release a warning. Uh, I think it's something we should all be paying attention to. You brought up some good points uh, that there are some really good legitimate use cases for this technology, like dubbing movies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, that would keep me from having to read subtitles and missing the action of the movie, right? Mm -hmm. uh, Itai says he has zero doubt that this is going to be used politically. Uh, I would say it this way. I am 100% certain that this will be used in politically in the future. Yeah. Uh, I have never been more certain of anything in my life. <laughs> this will happen in the next election cycle. Right. <laughs> Yeah. There will be tons of deep fakes coming out soon with, with this election cycle. Yeah. And it's uh, some of them are going to be funny. Some of them are going to be uh, really, really scary and deceiving. Mm -hmm. One thing that Itai brings up that I think is a great name, he calls it the liar's dividend. That is a huge consequence of this technology. Hmm. That is something that's going to change the landscape. And we're going to have to have a way 
of uh, of discerning whether or not a video is real or fake. I mean, we we've every now and then we've had. I can't think of a specific example, but we had somebody where something where somebody tweets something that's not an inappropriate tweet, let's say. Yeah. And then they say, oh, my account was hacked. Mm-hmm. And of course, Twitter gets on and looks at it and says, well, no, we, we didn't see any unusual activity. And the person confesses, oh, yes, that was me. Right. 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 This is going to be like that on steroids. Hmm. Right. Itai talks about the uh, the GPT-3, which is the uh, open AI product. Mm-hmm. Microsoft actually owns the license to that, but you can still use it. With hmm. uh, with you can still use the API. You can pay OpenAI to use that. Right. Um, and he makes a very important point that I wanted to highlight. All the information we put on social media can be fed into this model. This model has billions of of inputs, and it can spit out a conversation opener that is more likely to catch your interest. Mm. And we talked about this recently as well. I can't remember if it was on Hacking Humans or on the Cyberwire Daily Show about the the guys. I think they were from Singapore mm-hmm. who used the this exact model. Uh, OpenAI's GPT-3 to generate phishing emails and found that AI was, that this model was more effective at generating phishing emails than they were against people they knew. Right, right. Uh, mm-hmm. Which is remarkable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they said more study needs to be done on that, and and I agree. But this was, this was they presented that at DEF CON this yeah. year, this yeah. past, just recently. Hmm. Uh, we do need to wa- be aware that this stuff is out there and exists and who has access to it, but Unfortunately, who has access to it is just about anybody that wants it. Mm-hmm. Uh, the open open AI product is is available to anybody that wants to utilize it via the API. There are tons of other products out there that will let you generate deep fake speech. Uh, and uh, and I imagine that they're in fact, we were talking last week or two weeks ago about deep fake video services that are out there now, right as yeah. as uh, to make customizable videos. Mm-hmm. Uh, these things are are available to anybody that has the money to pay pay for them. so, and it's not expensive. And it's not expensive, exactly. Yeah. Uh, there are artifacts that are evidence of deep fakes, but those are going to become smaller and smaller and smaller. Right. This is going to be an arms race hmm. uh, of detecting these deep fakes. Uh, and the bigger problem, the, the bigger problem is the humans. There are some people you'll show these deep fakes to. You may even tell them that they're deep fakes when you're showing it to them, but they're still going to believe them. Yeah. Because of their belief set. Right, right, yeah. I remember that there's a there's a saying. Uh, I think sort of in the skeptical world, you know, there's that old saying, uh, "I'll believe it when I see it," and the the inverse of that is, "I'll see it when I believe it." Right. <laughs> right. And I think there's something to that with this. Yeah. I just I you know, I think this this adds an overlay of anxiety of who do we trust? It does. Right? We can't trust our own eyes and i think it it chips away at the um sources of authority in our lives because if anybody can say oh that news clip was probably just a deep fake right. it makes it very easy to dismiss things to sort of hand wave away um you know and and i think that that's a problem that's been growing lately you know it's like well uh, sure you're a you're a doctor, but I do my own research. Right. You know, yeah. like, oh, <laughs> okay. Right. There, we need – a functioning society needs trusted experts. Yes. Right? I would agree. <laughs> and if we, if, we, if we chip away at people's confidence in those experts, which is not to say that they can't be challenged or questioned or anything like that. All those things come with expertise. But at the same time, we have to have ways of establishing what is ground truth. Right. And I think things like this chip away at that and that – 
that concerns me, I mm-hmm. think, uh, and, and it sounds like it concerns you too. It does, very much so. Yeah. All right. Well, our thanks to uh, Itai Mayor for joining us. Uh, we do appreciate him taking the time. That is our show. We want to thank all of you for listening. And of course, we want to thank the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute for their participation. You can learn more at isi.jhu.edu. The Hacking Humans podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our senior producer is Jennifer Iben. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie. I'm Dave Bittner. And I'm Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.